Man, I'm not, uh, not even sure how to start this episode. I've been hung out to dry. My co-host is off at the beach, probably with his little piggies in the sand, daydreaming about muscle women. I'm stuck here, gotta do this. Nah, but for real though, I'm excited for today's episode. I'm excited to have a little one-on-one time with you. I'm excited to get up in your ears and drop some knowledge. Yo! Now is the time to wage fucking war against our hypocrites, bigots, and all you weak ass phonies that are never any winners, only survivors, they're gods, no masters, and no loyalty to the fucking gods! Yeah, I wanted to talk about something that was been on my mind lately, and it's something I think we dance around a lot, and we talk a lot about, and big grandiose terms, but we don't ever really sit down and talk about it. What am I talking about? I'm talking about the cult of ball, and all that Saturn death cult worship, and all that stuff. Yeah, I found a poster. Um, on deepstatemappingproject.com. <laughs> um, yeah, whatever, like, fucking ultra-right-wing group funds that. But uh, the Deep State Mapping Project has put out... Basically, it's like this Kabbalah shape, and it's got, like, a timeline all the way from, like, earliest recorded history to now. And it kind of lays out all the ways we're being fucked with and and poked and prodded and kept as chattel. So, uh, yeah, that's going to be super fun. I'm really excited to kind of dig into that. Actually talk about some of the nitty gritty and, and you know, kind of go through literally the beginning of recorded history to now. And try to break down and understand all the ways we're being lied to. Um, but before we do that kind of want to get political for a minute. Now, those of y'all that listen to the show know I'm not really the politics guy. It's not really my bag. More like the big picture guy. I love the woo-woo stuff. I'm here for the aliens, the interdimensional demons. I'm here for it. The light matrix simulation. You know me. And politics, you know, I'm, I'm always on the fence about, you know, sometimes I get psyoped and, and sometimes I find myself wanting to put on the jersey, but a lot of times I feel like I stop myself from drinking the Kool-Aid, you know, so I'm, you're not going to get any left-right takes here, you're not going to get any of that partisan bullshit, um, but I did want to talk about something that's been going on lately and something that concerns me. And I'm sure by now everyone is completely aware of the FBI raid at Trump's place, Mar-a-Lago. And I'm, I'm 
I'm finding it very difficult to not be concerned about the way the 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 narrative around intelligence agencies is going right now. And the reason I say that is because of this tricky little thing called the Overton window. And my understanding of the Overton window is that it's basically, you know, a window of normalization. And it's, it's let's say, on a left-right spectrum, if someone's in the middle, and then let's say the left end of the spectrum goes further left, well, someone who considers themselves stuck in the middle, that Overton window of what's considered moderate has shifted to the left. So that moderate person 10 years ago is now considered more conservative leaning because the Overton window has shifted, even though their values may have not. And that's actually a, a Musk tweet, an Elon Musk tweet that blew up a while back where he said uh, something along the lines of, I don't think I'm a conservative. You know, I think I've always been like a classical liberal. It's just like the left is getting lefter and I've stayed put. So I just look more conservative now. Um, right. So we got that out the way. Overton window, blah, blah, blah. Now, how does it apply to this? Trump Mar-a-Lago thing. Well, look at the way all the establishment Republicans have been talking about the FBI and intelligence communities lately. It seems like ever since this Trump raid, <clears throat> it's finally what got their feathers ruffled up enough to literally start saying defund the FBI or disband the FBI. I was listening to a Steven Crowder thing the other day, which I'm not a stan, but he he had an episode on the Trump Mar-a-Lago raid, and I was like, I'll check it out. I'll listen to it. And he starts the entire show by literally going off about, like, I fully endorse disbanding the FBI, yada, yada. And he's going on, and it's like, yo, we've been saying that for years, Right? We've been saying it for years, and now, all of a sudden, Steven Crowder is going to come out, one of the number one, if not the number one independent conservative YouTube host, whatever you want to call him. He's coming out and advocating for disbanding a federal agency. Now, you might be asking yourself, why is that a bad thing? The Overton window is why that's a bad thing. And the scope of what we normalize, right? So when you start looking at people like Steven Crowder and even DeSantis, Ron DeSantis, he might be a populist, but he's still an establishment Republican. He works in the machine. Sorry, any way you slice it, he's not a good guy. He's not on your side. Hate to break it to you. So when Ron DeSantis comes out and is also saying things, we need to like audit the CIA and, you know, disband the FBI, that worries me because think back to when the DOJ released their domestic terrorism guidelines. And we covered it on the show. It was actually the first time Kill the Mockingbirds was on. And... They basically, the Department of Justice, put out a bulletin that said we are on a heightened terrorism alert because of, um, you know, white nationalism, white supremacy groups, 
And <clears throat> they were also a little pesky little clause they slipped in there was also anyone that was espousing anti-state rhetoric. Um, so pretty much anyone who advocates for, mm, I don't know, the disbanding of the FBI, they immediately label you a terrorist now. And MAGA crowd, the ultra-right or whatever, the Trump lovers, whatever, They've been persecuted for so long already in the media, culture war bullshit. The last thing they need is the literal DOJ coming after them now. Because we've talked about it before on this show. You know, bringing the troops home from Iraq and Afghanistan and stuff. I mean, war terror is coming home, baby. Look at all the arrests that are happening at school board meetings. Look at all the, the protests and the SWAT teams out there and how fucking bred it up these police departments are paramilitary groups and so war terror is coming home for sure and they're turning it inward and when <clears throat> the establishment MAGA crowd that I completely believe is controlled opposition it's a trap y'all it's designed to get you riled up and then to get you to go on Twitter and start saying shit like, we should defund the FBI and disband them and get rid of them. You know, and actually, I don't think we've actually ever advocated for that. And I don't think I will. Because I like my family and I like my dog and I want to chill. But we damn sure will call out some sussy shit when it's happening. We can do that. That's First Amendment protected. Um, but when these people... Controlled op MAGA grifters, call them populists, whatever you want. When they're telling you to, to advocate for disbanding a federal agency, that literally goes against like domestic terrorism. Like, I, I don't know, maybe I'm reading too much into it. Maybe I am. Maybe, maybe, maybe someone can pull me back into reality. But I see this being used and abused in false narratives. We know narratives get co-opted. We know Operation Mockingbird. These intelligence agencies are working with the media. And these politicians are also working with the media. And so it's this giant orchestrated scheme of like, don't fall for it. Don't give them a reason. You know, mind your business, tend your crops, take care of your family, do what you need to do. But you don't need to be out here fighting the good fight through, you know, sincere posting on your stories. Nobody needs that. And stop playing that partisan bullshit. Stop giving into it. When you play that partisan bullshit and you put on that MAGA team, that MAGA jersey, they're immediately going to label you a domestic terrorist. They already do it. Look at Charlottesville kid. Or not Charlottesville kid, uh, Covington kid. You know, I mean, look at what they do. Look at the lengths they go to to smear anyone with a red hat. And now you have DeSantis and Crowder. And I'm sure, I mean, it's becoming, you know, mainstream consensus. Disband the FBI. I mean, Crowder even said on that episode, any, any politician listening, I will not endorse you unless you advocate for disbanding the FBI and, you know, auditing intelligence agencies and shit like that. He, he's, he opened his episode with that. 
And and maybe that's some like YouTube populism, some Spotify populism of like, hey, let's tell them what we really think. And maybe it could be the good guys, white hats winning. But I just don't see it that way, man. I, I, I think there's always, you know, something around the corner of the maze and, you know, the deep state or whoever, you know, the bad actors, the bad guys, the baddies, they're going to. They're going to always find a way to dupe you. And you might think, like just like the Georgia Guidestones, you might think that you know blowing them up was a, symbo- was a good thing, but it's actually a symbolic victory, and we don't know who did it. It could have been a timed you know, plant explosive in the time capsule. It could have been you know, military-grade explosion. It could have been a number of things. And so everyone's like, yeah, the cabal's coming down. Yeah. Oh, Crowder's advocating the, abolishing the FBI. It's like, guys, if if you're into the Alex Jones prison planet, round them up FEMA camp shit, the last thing you want to be doing is putting that red hat on right now and dying on that hill. So I just, I am wary of where the narrative is right now. That's really the the moral of that story. Again, I'm not really a political guy. I try not to play that partisan bullshit, but uh, you know when I see stuff like this happening, when I see trends and 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 just general consensus going a certain way, I can't I can't help but you know I, I don't know I can't help but be concerned. And another thing, leave you know Stephen Crowder, Ron DeSantis, anyone else who's saying all that defund the disband the FBI. Fucking leave that to the weirdos, okay? That's for us. That's right. You know how many first dates I've ruined, okay? By talking about the CIA? You know how many cookouts I've ended? By talking about 9-11, okay? Like, stop trying to make extremist views cool or mainstream. That's what it's doing. Look at it. Think about it. They're trying to, they're trying to make, ma- like, extreme views cool. In mainstream. Stop trying to make radical shit mainstream. Because that's that's an obvious trap. It's an obvious plant. Maybe it's some good old-fashioned populism, but I don't know if you're like me. I just don't trust the political system like that. I genuinely don't believe any of them are on our side. I genuinely don't believe in the left-versus-right dichotomy, which is why I'm apolitical. I don't see any point in, in even going there. I don't see any point in even entertaining it. And that's just my personal belief. If you want to listen to Crowder, be my guest. If you want to go listen to Hassan Piker or you want to go listen to some voucher, whatever the fuck, I don't know, fuck that guy. But if you want to listen to him, who am I to stop you? Right? That's not this podcast. You come to this podcast because we're going to tell you that the birds outside your window are blinking your full legal name in Morse code, dude. You need to do something about it. You need to handle it. You need to do something about the pigeons blinking your full legal name in Morse code outside your window. I don't know. That That's my little bit. That's what I got to say on that. And, uh, you know, I know some people still like to put the jersey on. And I know some people still like to play that partisan game. And you know what? If you're still chasing the high off that shit, good for you, you know. But uh, I don't know. That's not what we're here for. What we're here for, 
what I'm really stoked to talk about today is this cult of ball. And no, it's not Branch Davidians in the NBA. It's not that cult of ball. It's B-A-A-L. Right? And ball is an ancient Canaanite, Canaanite, if I pronounce that correctly, an ancient Canaanite deity. And he's often depicted as a bull. Um, and there was all kinds of, you know, uh, uh, sacrifice and stuff that went along with his worship. And he was generally considered an agricultural god. Like he, he was kind of like in charge of like the rain, the storm god, you know, the, the rising of the sun and moon. And, and, and I think, uh, you know, had a lot to do with the creation of this realm, right? In the, in the battles between the gods that get retold over so many um, civilizations, Romans, Greeks, you know, as we'll talk about <clears throat> Egyptian tradition all the way through Christianity, Judaism, and Islam. Um, so we're going to talk about this cult of Baal, this ancient Canaanite death cult that has pretty much managed to survive until today. And it's pretty scary shit. <laughs> it's, it's definitely not for the faint of heart. Um, and I will say right now that I don't agree 100% with every implication that's made here. All right. Um, I'm just going to present this information as is, as found on deepstatemappingproject.com. Um, but yeah, uh, not my original thoughts. I'm not the artist or, you know, did not compile this information, but I did do a lot of research. And the cool thing about this poster is that it's laid out graphically in a timeline fashion. It looks like, um, a Kabbalah shape. If you're familiar with that, you know, shape, and you might even know the exact, you know, poster or image I'm referencing. If you do sick. Um, if not, it's a Kabbalah shape. Um, I'll be saying a lot of things today that you might want to Google. So, you know, look up Kabbalah shape or just look up cult of ball. Um, I'm probably going to have the image as the cover. So I don't know how much you can read, you know, on that tiny little Spotify phone screen, but we'll see. Um, let's get started though. I'm going to start with the epilogue and it says, learn to read the map. And this is from the artist. And it says, The diagram you hold reveals the history of a powerful death cult that has ruled over Earth for all of recorded humanity. Pretty, pretty big uh, accusation there. The timeline is trisected and proceeds from top to bottom. So the whole graphic is laid out, just like he said, timeline, you read it top to bottom. And... Not only is it trisected through various uh, timelines, or excuse me, different eras, it's also um, bifurcated, if I use the right word. It's split down the middle. I probably used that word wrong, but whatever, I was feeling spunky. Um, so it's split down the middle, and on one side is all about sun worship and paganism, that form of sun worship. 
through enslavement and government and banking and yada yada. I don't want to give it all away. And then on the other side is, you know, again, not my opinions, but it kind of gets a little anti-Semitic and they talk about, uh, you know, the child sacrifices to Moloch and, and all that fun stuff, right? Which, again, is very, you know, present and I think a lot of conspiracy people's lexicon and in their vocabulary, Moloch, you know, we hear a lot about this stuff, even Ball, we've probably heard a lot about the cult of Ball or whatever, but I don't, I think rarely do many of us take the time to really go into it. And even for this episode, you know, I learned a fuck ton and I tried to keep it all straight in my head and I'm probably going to fuck a lot up. To be completely honest, I'm going to forget a lot, might jump around a little bit, but I'm going to do my best. Um, Tried to synthesize a lot of this information because, again, this is like a roadmap, right? This this isn't the keys to the universe, but it's a jumping off point. And And it's a roadmap, a guide, a Sherpa, if you will, on your Mount Everest of conspiracies. And... I'm going to try my best. I'm, I really don't like going into like the religious, like biblical account stuff. Like I'm not going to say in Genesis, it said this much like I'm not going to say in the Torah, it said this or whatever. Right. Cause I, I don't want to lend much credence to that. So a lot of the information on this is, um, a lot of the information on this is actually like historically documented. It literally starts at the beginning of recorded history with the Canaanites. And I'm not going to give into a lot of that religious stuff. So let's just kind of start at the top and try to break down some of the history of where we are and how we got. You know what the fuck I'm saying. All right. Something else we need to address before we get into it is the philosophy of the ancient death cult. And the artist goes on to say uh, 12 points here. I'm going to try to get through them quick. Point number one, Baal. Baal is the storm god of ancient Mesopotamia, worshipped by dark solar cults throughout the ages. The sky, war, and fertility are considered his domain. The word Baal is both a proper name and an honorific title meaning lord or master that has been attached to several deities. Point number two, sacrifice. The worship of Baal, under several different names over time, has been strongly associated with the practice of blood sacrifice, human sacrifice, and child sacrifice. The offering of one's firstborn is considered the highest form of worship and the most potent form of magic ritual at the disposal of the Baalist. There are logistical and opportunistic motivations involved in this practice as well, i.e. cannibalism. Point number three, archetypes. Deities follow common archetypes, recurring models that are sequentially renamed from one culture to the next, though they may gain or lose various attributes. This is most evident when comparing the Greek and Roman pantheons, but can be applied to every Western religion from modern Christianity to ancient Sumerian. Point number four, religion. All three Abrahamic religions are founded on Baalism. The priesthood has created the divisions of Judaism, Christianity, and Islam to continue their human sacrifice rituals perpetually through religious persecution and endless war. Three sets of tyrannical monotheism, all modeled after ancient Atonist sun worship. 
the son, excuse me, the god of the cult of Baal is a sadist of the highest order. Creepy. Point number five, dark cults. Every mystery school of esoteric knowledge has its inversion. There are both light and dark variants of Freemasonry, Kabbalah, Luciferianism, and every society or organization presented in this diagram. The focus of this examination is predominantly on the negative faction, which happens to be dominant throughout history and power not in numbers. So again, there's always light and dark sides. There's good sides of Freemasonry. There's good sides of you know, Christianity and people doing charity and shit like that. Um, this, this conversation is going to focus on the negative energies and the dark cults. Point six, Satanism. The Satanist is not confined to worshiping one central deity, but is devoted to an ideology of self-deification and the pursuit of self-interest above morality. Do what thou wilt is their motto. The cult actively seeks out individuals with a tendency towards narcissism and psychopathy to join their ranks. Think about that, you edgy little 13-year-old. Point number seven, magic. Luciferians follow the same satanic ideology, but have been taught the deepest metaphysical secrets and have access through magic ritual to a pantheon of demonic entities. Many within the cult are likely controlled by non-physical or negative alien entities. This control is exerted through both direct communication channels and voluntary or involuntary possession. 8. Domination As a result of their service to self ideology, infighting and betrayal is rampant within the various sects of the cult. Still, they manage to cooperate enough to unite on the shared goal of subjugating the general peace-loving population. Their goal is totalitarian control and to be both invincible and invisible. They seek to be the gods of a world that's of their own creation and brazen defiance of the natural law of the universe. Hierarchy. Supremacy through domination leads to the creation of hierarchy, which is imposed on all levels of society within and outside the cult. Knowledge is compartmentalized and withheld in accordance to the hierarchy. Even the majority of members within these sects are kept in the dark as secrets of the highest order. So, you know, that's the degrees of masonry, just like the degrees of the Jesuit order um, and throughout history. You'll see. 10. Deception. Ambition for domination, combined with the absence of morality, makes the art of deception a key value in the cult. Catholicism is centered on the Roman two-faced god of gods, Janus, representing the two-faced nature of the Vatican, which is satanic at its core. The Vatican is so inundated with pagan symbolism and blatant contradictions within its selected scriptures that reality is literally inverted for the honest believer. They worship death. The cross is a plain demonstration of human sacrifice worship, yet counterintuitive justifications have been canonized to disguise the obvious. 11. Symbolism Words are spells, and art is a form of magic. The cult's continued worship of Baal is demonstrated in the prevalence of bills, balls, and beliefs in modern culture. All words derived from Baal. Our monetary, political, and judicial system, professional sports, and all forms of corporate-driven entertainment openly parade Baalist satanic symbolism in front of an oblivious audience on a daily basis. And finally, point number 12, banking. 
Occultists practicing Babylonian money magic have been impeding humanity's development, imposing an endless dark age on Earth, and preventing Atlantean free energy technology from reemerging. They have created the monetary banking system to enrich themselves and keep humanity enslaved. So the Canaanites, they were the people that originally inhabited the Middle East, like the the eastern part of the Mediterranean Sea. I think they called it like the Levant area or something like that. And the Canaanites were like very, very like early, early people. And I can't remember. I think they have something to do with the lost tribes of Judah. I got a whole bunch of shit pulled up and I can't find it right now. So yeah, I'm going to read from Bible study tools, biblestudytools.com. And it says Canaanites are the descendants of Canaan, the son of Ham. Migrating to their original home, they seem to have reached the Persian Gulf and to have sojourned there for some time. Yada yada, so they spread out. Um, the Israelites, when they were led to the Promised Land, were commanded to utterly destroy the descendants of Canaan and then possess the Holy Land. So that's pretty interesting. Again, this is on Bible study tools. Uh, so that's a little bit religious. You know, that has a tinge of uh, theology behind that history. And a lot of this stuff, as I was doing my research, has a lot of uh, undertones to it and implications and suppositions. And it says, oh, you must believe what I believe so I can talk openly. There's a lot of anti-Semitic stuff on here. I'll be honest with you. Like, it's like, I feel like the right half, if you're looking at it, like the entire right half, like Kings of Babylon... Second Temple, Judea, like if you're looking at the graphic, all that stuff, pretty anti-Semitic in my, in my opinion, which is part of, uh, you know, if you made it that far in the last episode, what I was trying to talk to Harrison about was why do so many of these conspiracies, especially the big grand conspiracies of everything, always seem to kind of go anti-Semitic? Um, so I'm putting that out there up front. There is a fair amount of that in here, but again, it's not my opinion it's just what's on this graphic and i think it's an interesting narrative and an interesting viewpoint and i think a lot of what's on the left side you know when we talk about the pharaohs the roman empire knights templar sun worship stuff um that stuff i do believe is very much real and i can lend a lot of credence to that um but anyway back to the canaanites Right, so they were originally in that promised land until the supposed Israelites, you know, came and kicked them out. And before the Canaanites, there was the great flood. And again, not going religious on you, but we've talked about Randall Carlson. He has a lot of evidence for the great flood, mud floods, stuff happening throughout history, resets. It may not have been Noah's Ark per se, um, but there definitely could be some, you know, world-shaping cataclysmic floods that have happened, you know, even as recently as the past couple hundred years. But definitely thousands and thousands of years ago, yeah, that can happen. I mean, come on. So, 
Before them, you know, we have the priesthood reincarnating archons, um, fall of Atlantis, the emerald tablets of Thoth, um, and they were they were doing Baal worship, B A A L, the cult of Baal. It's where all this stems from, right? So worshiping Baal, again, he was like he was a, a, a pagan deity. He was seen as you know, the sun, storm, you know, agriculture, God. And that led a lot to also ideas of fertility and the importance of fertility. Because again, you know, from a pagan's perspective, they worship, you know, springtime because it's, you know, rebirth. All the bunnies are fucking, everything's happening. And they very much viewed man as the creator of life. And the sun, they worshipped the sun because they figured out, hey, the sun helps grow these crops. In an agricultural society, you know, very primitive. You know, this is Bronze Age, right? Bronze Age, they're worshipping Baal. These are proto-religions, right? Judaism, Christianity, Islam, this stuff isn't around yet. All right, so there's a lot of wiggle room back then. And there's also a lot of stuff we don't know. Right, we'll just say that. Okay, so we're starting with Baal, and we're getting the picture pagan. Then we go to the Canaanites, tribe of Dan, um, which are one of the surviving... Are they one of the surviving or one of the lost tribes of Judah? I don't know. Someone's going to yell at me for that, for not knowing that. Um, But anyway, the Canaanites, they actually occupied Egypt as well. Not only were they on the eastern part of the Mediterranean, but they obviously went down a little southwest and made their way to the Egyptian area. And they actually think it was the Canaanites who were in Egypt. I believe it was the Canaanites who were in Egypt when the Hyksos people kicked them out. H-Y-K-S-O-S. I'm not sure how to pronounce that. Again, like ancient, whatever. But the Hyksos or the Hyksos, whatever... They kicked the Canaanites out, or, or excuse me, they, they took over. The Hyksos people completely took over and ruled Egypt. And this was the first time Egypt was ruled by foreign people. And I'm sure that caused, you know, a lot of trouble. And from the research I was doing, I was getting like two kinds of accounts. I was getting some, some people saying, oh, you know, the Hyksos people came in and it was a brutal takeover and slaughter and yada yada, all this bullshit and painted a grim tale. And then the other people were like, guys, it wasn't that bad. It was a peaceful transition. It was a lot of like diplomacy, diplomatic, yada yada. I don't know about y'all, but I've, I've read enough history books that... Um, if some people said it was a brutal takeover, it was probably a brutal takeover. Um, so now we're getting into the first time the Canaanites are being ruled by outside influence, which are supposedly, again, the lost tribes of Judah, and that can be part of religious doctrine, but it could also be part of just actual genealogy on earth. Like, this could exist beyond organized religion as we know it, as we're going to see. We're going to see how this story gets corrupted. So, it might seem like we're crawling right now, but trust me, we're going to get there. 
So the Hyksos people, the Canaanites. Now the pharaohs of Egypt, right? The Canaanites were in Egypt. They've been co-opted in the pharaohs. There was this guy, Tutmosis Fourth. And I believe he was the one who produced the Sphinx Stele, or Steel. And basically, he was not in line to the throne. Again, this is another like power usurpation, where he just basically made some propaganda piece and was like, yo, I'm the fucking pharaoh now. And he was not in the bloodline. He was not there you know, beforehand. He just kind of like weaseled his way in. And the Sphinx Steel, or Stele, or whatever is basically he um <clears throat> he had a vision he claimed he had a vision and that was his right to the throne he claimed he had a vision of the sphinx he took like a nap where it was and like a little bit of it was sticking out and he had a vision where god or somebody told him to like excavate right here and dig it out and you'll see and then the sphinx was there and they were like yo this guy fucking rules um but yeah it was a complete just usurpation of power Right, and so this happens time and time again. And the pharaohs, another thing that happens is the phenomenon of atonism. Atonism, it's A-T-E-N or A-T-O-N. Uh, but basically that was proto-sun worship. Uh, they, they, they took Baal and they just transformed him into a different sun god. And, you know, we had Osiris and Isis and that whole story and Anubis and all the ancient Egyptian gods we knew. Polytheistic, right? Well, this was when Amun-Ra, the sun god, started to become the main focal point of their religion. And it was enforced by pharaohs, particular pharaohs. And... That was the first time they tried to kind of enforce monotheism, you know, and it was state enforced because you got to look, these pharaohs were God kings, you know, not only were they running society totally, I mean, they were, they were commander in chief in charge of the economy. They were in charge of agriculture and feeding the people. I mean, these pharaohs were in charge of absolutely everything, including the religious, you know, kind of fundamental force in society what they said went and that led to the church co-opting a lot of political power even back in ancient egypt right and so we're laying the groundwork for religion co-opting political power for gain right and we're starting to get into you know the seedy parts of american nature or excuse me Freudian slip, human nature, but also American nature, um, but the seedier parts of human nature where we fuck people over and do stuff for our own gain, and we're deceitful. So the same time Amun-Ra and the sun god of Egypt becoming monotheistic and that becoming a powerhouse in culture, At the same time, the kings of Babylon in the Middle East were worshipping and pushing Marduk. And they're a sick metal band, but Marduk is also, you guessed it, a sun god and an agriculture god. Paganism 
It runs through all of this stuff. It goes back to the Canaanites and ball worship, right? Because we have Osiris and all that story that leads to the pharaohs and Amun-Ra. That's how we get there. But then Nimrod and the kings of Babylon. This is where we start getting into the uh, Semitic people, right? The pharaohs in Egypt, they were technically Semitic. Um, I believe, could be wrong on that. Again, someone's yelling at me for not knowing. But we're going to branch off Egypt in a little bit. But these kings of Babylon are really interesting because this is where we get King Solomon. Right? So out of this, you know, Marduk worship, which, again, they're doing human sacrifices to agriculture gods, almost like, uh, you know, like Aztecs and Mayans and stuff that we talk about. So in the Middle East, they're doing this, and King Solomon comes around. And King Solomon, he's written about in the Bible, he's many accounts of him, but he's heralded as one of the wisest men that ever lived. He was wise beyond imagination, uh, but something a lot of people didn't know about King Solomon was that he was also really big into like alchemy and basically magic, like proto-magic. Right? So that's really interesting. We talk about that stuff a lot. We talk about magic, black magic. Um, and King Solomon, he actually had, I think uh, uh, they're called like sigils of Solomon or Solomon's sigils. Um, but they are. They're like ancient, old, like rune sigil, like magical things you would see in like a fucking Necronomicon. And they said that King Solomon basically he could use these sigils to like talk to spirits and even demons and he could charm people and like ward off demons and stuff but um this is kind of the first introduction to the elite aristocracy and ruling class a guy like king solomon who's like tapping into some crazy wild esoteric metaphysical shit right and so here's why the paganism is important before we move on from this, is because these groups throughout history um, obscure the true nature of reality. I talked about that with Conspiracy Class podcast, um, talked about it a number of times, where these secret societies and these religions... You know, they they mask the true nature of reality so that humanity is in perpetual confusion, doesn't know how to come together and realize its true potential and ascend out of the soul trap matrix or whatever you want to call it. So they're masking the true nature of reality. How do they do that? Well, they trick you into worshiping the sun as a physical you know, being or God or whatever. And they, they say, oh, well, that, that grows the crops, so we must worship it and make sure it stays out. It's very nature-based in three dimension. It's based in the third dimension, right? It's the same thing. They, they put, pagans put humans at the center of creation. They say man and woman, yin and yang, come together and make one. Which, you know, in a physical sense is true. That's what we experience here on this earthly realm. But spiritually, is that what's happening? Is that really what's happening? On like a metaphysical, spiritual level? We don't know. Um, so the, the paganism is important because it, it, it kind of comes back through all of this stuff, right? 
And there's some other topics on another image I had. I kind of wanted to reference real quick that I thought it brought up some cool stuff. Um, yeah, the Marduk kings of Babylon. They were also uh, there was tie-in with Moloch, right? Again, another thing we talk about a lot. He's referenced a lot in conspiracy circles, especially you know deep state cabal talk. Um, not only is he represented as an owl, like we see at Bohemian Grove. He's also, you guessed it, a bull. So we have all this pagan bull worship about like giant bull cock fertility. Because that's what it is. is Those giant bull testicles. And uh, sun worship, like in Egypt with Amun-Ra. So we kind of have the two different sides of the Kabbalah shape going. We've got the Egypt on one side, sun worship. And then we've got Kings of Babylon, King Solomon, Dark Magic, Human Sacrifice, horror movie shit, right? <clears throat> so then we move on down, move on down, and then we get to the Roman Empire out of Egypt, right? And so this is where, you know, the, the Romans, you know the fucking story, right? This giant empire amassed itself so much political and economic power and land and influence that it was it was the biggest thing anyone had ever seen ever right and the reason they're important is because this is kind of where christianity starts to come about is out of the roman empire not early roman empire right we're not there yet um but we're making our way and then there's the cult of saturn so that's something we talk a lot about, cult of Saturn. What is that? Uh, well, it's it's the black cube. It's all that symbology talk you hear everyone talk about. Um, you know, Saturn was an ancient Greek deity, or Roman, I guess, deity. And <clears throat> had a lot to do with the creation process, but was also a very dark negative force. Very dark and negative. And they were worshipping cosmology, you know, that it's the literal planets, you know. And so the cult of Saturn, it actually originally was Jupiter, believe it or not. I believe it was Jupiter before it was Saturn. And then it got co opted. And then the Romans turned it into cult of Saturn. But again, we're starting to get more into uh, pagan ideology, and there's also a lot of uh, sacrifice and stuff that goes along with that cult of Saturn. So that's a whole episode on its own, right? Um, and then also out of King Solomon, we get uh, Judaism. So we're getting proto-Christianity and Judaism. They're bridging the gap of monotheism when you're looking at this image. Um, and then both of those lead to a middle point the Vatican. Now, this is a big one. We could spend a lot of time on this, but I'm going to try to keep it short and sweet. The reason the Vatican's on here is for a couple reasons. Um, for one, uh, obviously, we know it today as its own kind of sovereign state. It has, uh, you know, a lot of shady shit surrounding it. It has its own, like, intelligence agencies. Um Obviously, we know all the scandals that the Catholic Church is involved in, and it's fucked up beyond belief, right? But what's important about the Vatican and the Catholic Church in particular is this thing called the Council of Nicaea. 
and that happened in 325 AD, right? So we've gone through all the ancient stuff. Jesus has come now, supposedly, according to the Bible. And now we have the Council of Nicaea. And the reason that happened, I believe it was Constantine I, was the emperor of Rome at the time. And they had a lot of infighting going on about Christian doctrine. They couldn't really decide on a lot of stuff, just like we talk about with the Gnostics, right? There was a lot of mysticism even involved with Christian teachings and the teachings of Jesus, right? There was a lot of mysticism, and that's that's literally where we get the Gnostics from. They're referenced in the Dead Sea Scrolls, uh, you know, they were a group of people that existed and they were tapping into that metaphysical reality that we talk about, um, that these dark groups try to hide. Okay. These dark groups try to hide that true nature. So the council of Nicaea, they come together and they basically laid out, this is what church doctrine is. And in a sense, they kind of invented, you know, Orthodox Catholicism. They agreed that like, you know, they said, hey, in Christian doctrine, like Christ was the son of God, yada, yada. And they're going on to say, they, oh, they even said like heretics and non-believers and all these people can be baptized. And they did a lot of weird shit, but they, they codified Christianity, right? And when they did that, they basically had to agree on a narrative that's really how you should look at it is they had to all agree on the one big lie because again roman guy we got sol invictus he's the roman sun god we got cult of saturn we've got jesus now we've already talked about egypt and we have osiris and isis they had horus right and so horus and jesus Horus was conceived of immaculate conception. We talked about in the Mario thing when Osiris's body got scattered across the realm. Isis, his wife, went and retrieved him, couldn't find his dick, and made him a gold phallus. That's another reason why phallic worship is so big in a lot of these proto-religions and paganism, right? It can all be traced back to paganism, just like I said, and it's phallic worship. It's fertility. Um... So with him having a gold dick, obviously Isis and Osiris couldn't conceive like an actual godson. So Horus, for lack of a better term, was immaculately conceived, just like Jesus. You know, and the same stories get told over and over, just like with Zeus and, you know, his progeny and everything. And and it's the same stories that get packaged over and over. That's the main takeaway, right? It's this pagan sun worship uh fertility seasons like that's why uh easter is a christian holiday and i think that's even something they decided at the council of nicaea was that easter was going to be celebrated in april well what's happening in april or is it march it's in april what's happening that's springtime that's when the bunnies come to life i mean we've all heard that like the easter bunny and the the chickens and the eggs that's all fertility icons that's iconography that's blasphemy. That's not real Christianity. That's it. You think when you go to an Easter egg hunt and you're praising Jesus? Hell nah. You're praising some. You're praising Amon Ra. You're praising the Sun God. You're praising Sol Invictus. So quit it with that pagan bullshit. Get it the fuck out of here. I don't want to fucking see it. 
So the Council of Nicaea is when they agreed on the doctrine. And from there, that's kind of where the Vatican really consolidated its power. And then they took over, you know, they had their own territory, just like we said. They keep all these records. They have all this art and wealth and a lot of secrets. Very secretive society. And so now, from the Vatican, we go off into the Crusades and the Dark Ages. We're splitting back off into our Kabbalah shape, into left and right. On the left side, on the sun worship side, we have the Knights Templar. And on the right side, excuse me, the right side, the anti-Semitic side, we have the Khazars. Which, again, I want to address that. (laughs) I I don't want to get out of myself, but we'll address that. So back to the Knights Templar. These guys are super fucking interesting, right? So I, a lot of my research I did on this was actually on Wikipedia. And I talk about that a lot. I'm like, guys, we know Wikipedia is completely co-opted. So if they're telling you something, it's probably true. Like if they're admitting something that's fucked up, it's probably one of those weird things, those that weird black magic rule where they have to like admit that they're doing something to you or you have to invite the evil in, right? You have to consent to evil, that whole idea. So anyway, this is literally right on the front. This is like the first fucking paragraph of the Wikipedia page of the Knights Templar. So let's read about this group. Officially endorsed by the Roman Catholic Church. The Templars became favored charity, excuse me, the Templars became a favored charity throughout Christendom and grew rapidly in membership and power. Templar knights in their distinctive white mantles and red cross were amongst the most skilled fighting units of the Crusades. So again, this is Crusades time. This is right around like 1100, the 1000s. And the Crusades were a giant holy war centered around getting the Holy Land from the Muslims. I don't know. Are they Muslims yet? Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, the Arabs. They wanted to get it back from them. So, you know, they waged countless wars and battles trying to drive them off. Yada, yada. I'll continue. (laughs) This, This line gets me. The Knights Templar were also prominent in Christian finance. Non-combatant members of the order who made up as much as 90% of their members managed a large economic infrastructure throughout Christendom. They developed innovative financial techniques that were an early form of banking, building a network of nearly a thousand commanderies and fortifications across Europe and the Holy Land, and arguably forming the world's first multinational corporation. So think about that. Think about that. Seriously. Like, we just kind of set the stage for all Abrahamic religions being a sham and basically being paganism. And then the Vatican gets their shit together, right? And then they say, well, this is the doctrine. And then, you know, you have the Temple of Judea and all this shit. Hellenization goes on. Vatican gets its story straight, and out of that, we have the Crusades. They say, hey, now we got our story straight. Let's go fucking go out and and conquer. 
You know, let's spread our tendrils. Let's treat this like a fucking venture. And they did. Like on the Wikipedia, they said that the Knights Templar were very involved in Christian finances. What? And they, they like basically developed banking, early banking. They even said they were considered the first multinational corporation because the way they break down the Knights Templar, you had like a grandmaster and then like some leaders under him and then some people under him and then people under him. It was like, you know, your typical pyramid scheme type thing, you know, your general ranking structure. Um, but it operated like a company and these were like mercenaries and guns for hire. But then they ended up treating the Crusades and everything like when they're over there and they're ransacking all these people and they're taking all this shit. You think they're just fucking burning all the spices? You think they're burning all that shit? You think they're burning all the textiles and all the new techniques and pottery and new things that they're learning from a different culture? Or do you think that the Vatican is probably making some fucking bank off that shit, right? Yeah? So Knights Templar, they're really interesting. They're a crucial element in this whole thing. Um, and then we look at the Dark Ages and the Kazarians. And now again, this is kind of what I was hinting at. It gets a little anti-Semitic. And they talk about the 13th tribe. Uh, so in traditional historic... You know, Abrahamic doctrine, there's 12 tribes of Judah. There's two that survive. Um, one of them, you know, being the Canaanites. And there's 10 lost tribes. And then, you know, the, the Israelites were enslaved by the Egyptians. <clears throat> and then, again, according to religious doctrine, uh, were set on a wander through the desert until they eventually came to, you guessed it, the promised land right there where the Canaanites were originally from and you know gave him the what for gave him the what for and so the idea is there's even a book that was written in the 70s called the 13th tribe and it makes the assertion that the Ashkenazi Jews are descendants of Khazarians the Khazars or however you say it and again, I'm not making that assertion. I'm just telling you that there's a fucking book on it. And it's being referenced here on this graphic that I'm doing an episode on. So I feel slightly obliged to talk about it. Um, again, I don't really know what to think. I don't really lend a lot of credence to it. Like, you know, I joke a lot about being on my Hotep train and I joke a lot about being a black Israelite. I mean, simple fact is, bro, I don't know. And I'm not going to claim to know. And if you think you know, <laughs> you're a fucking moron. You don't know. You don't fucking know. You don't know anything. You dumb fuck. So yeah, we don't fucking know. Could they be the 13th tribe? Could they be, you know? Because that's the kind of the whole thing behind the Hotep thing. You know, the fake Jews, the Yakub thing. You know, it's it's basically the idea that, you know, black people were originally, you know, the, the God's chosen people according to Jewish doctrine. And these Ashkenazi people came in and kind of tricked everybody. And so I think this graphic that I'm discussing kind of leans into that. And again, I don't know. I'm not saying one way or another. 
because I have no fucking clue, bro. Because you can find anything on the internet that's going to back up your your claim, bro. So have fun trying to make sense of it, but you're not going to find out. You're just not going to know. <laughs> I hate to break it to you, bud. Um, but then out of that, okay, we have the Knights Templar and the Kazarians, but the link between them is Kabbalah. And now we talk about, you know, this Kabbalistic shape, the Kabbalah shape, which is derived actually from sacred geometry, the flower of life. Um, again, talking metaphysical, I mean, these people, these ancient people, they knew something. I don't believe these ancient people were as dumb as we think they are. They were tuned in to the to the metaphysical and the higher realms and the ascension, right? That's why these dark forces came about and had to uh, basically obscure everything to keep us in the soul trap matrix, right? And so Kabbalah is also known as like esoteric Judaism and like mysticism, right? And kind of goes back to that King Solomon, Temple of Solomon thing we were talking about uh, with the sigils and the black magic, right? Oh, and get this. Speaking of King Solomon, something I forgot to mention about the Knights Templar. Do you want to hear? Dude, bro, listen to their fucking full name. Their full name is the Poor Fellow Soldiers of Christ and of the Temple of Solomon. Damn, the dog's really giving Bay a what for up there. But that's crazy. Did you hear that? They're literally, they're the Knights Templar, but they're the poor fellow soldiers of Christ and the Temple of Solomon. So these guys in 1119, the Knights Templar, who are forming the first multinational corporation and one of the biggest banking ventures, proto-banking, right? They're inventing banking. And they're tied all the way back to fucking King Solomon and ancient Babylonian kings make that make sense. And so you tie that in with King Solomon again, being esoteric, the Kazarians, um, you know, could be practicing a lot of, you know, magic. You know, we love to entertain that idea that throughout history, people are, you know, fucking with alchemy and calling it magic. And people are, you know, probably on some levels, probably alternating reality, bro, on some level, right? So out of the Knights Templar, we get medieval banking. Now, why is medieval banking important? Well, it's the first time that merchants really need they have a need for someone to keep their shit safe it's really what a bank is and actually even the term bank uh comes from banca which is bench in italian because these these uh money changers and these people and these merchants would set up on benches to do you know a form of you know banking it's where we get the word bank from, banca, bench. And so at the time, you know, there was medieval banking and that consisted of merchants that were like selling goods, um, consisted of a lower class and in the middle class was money changers. This is a really interesting group of people because we need to talk about the money changers. What happened 
was that during this time, a lot of international trade was taking off. And so there was different forms of currencies being traded. And so what a money changer did was they did exactly what their name implies. They helped convert currency and facilitate transactions. And they would take a percent of that. A modest fee, but they would skim some off the top and that would be their fee for doing the minimal work. But it was enough to like make a living, right? It was honest work. Well, the money changers eventually started figuring out how to, uh, you know, take advantage, if you will, which never happens in history, right? Um, There was a lot of predatory lending going on, and that's like really the the beginning of interest. Actually, in a lot of ancient religious doctrine, they say lending money, like in Islam, lending money at an interest rate is like forbidden, very frowned upon. They do not like that. So this whole thing, you know, the idea of usury and lending money or, or, or taking money, you know, exorbitantly for a fee, uh, that was a thing. And again, going back to that anti-Semitic thing, but, you know, we already discussed the 109 countries conspiracy, you know, that gets debunked because, you know, the Jews were basically relegated to those positions, right? They had no choice. So again, that's why I don't give in to the anti-Semitic side of this. Uh, It's really unhealthy and doesn't really do anything but promote hate. Whereas this Knights Templar, Vatican, you know, a lot of this stuff uh, is traceable. Uh, It's a lot more, you know, it's a lot more traceable. It's a lot more out in the open. They were a lot more brazen with it and it's a lot more trackable and I'm a lot more comfortable calling it out. Um, So anyway... Another thing with medieval banking, like I said, people started to have a reason for, uh, you know, needing a place to store their money and their goods and keep stuff safe. So lockboxes became a thing, right? Um, if you're a merchant and you come to town and you have a bunch of shit and you're only taking a little amount of stuff with you, you know, you can leave your stuff like, oh, hey, I'm going to, you know, Venice to sell some stuff. Hey, bank, can you keep the rest of my shit? And back then, the banks were like families. They were like houses. So, like, you would leave all your shit with just, like, a Rothschild. You know what I'm saying? Or, like, like a Bush or a Cheney. It was, like, family-run. They weren't, like, formal banks. Um, It was just someone who had money, had a place to keep stuff, and they were trustworthy. You know, they were able to, you know, when you came back and you wanted your stuff, they gave it to you. So when news of this profession took off, you know, more and more people started leaving their money with these banks. It wasn't really like commonplace for like peasants and stuff to use like banks. No one kept their like their pennies in a bank, but like merchants, right, started taking off. But these rich guys, you got to imagine. So these rich guys are leaving a fuck ton of goods and money, assets and hard, you know, gold and money with these other guys. And so they get the bright idea. They're like, hey, I can start investing this. And as long as I have enough to pay the guy back when he gets back, I'm good. Right? And that's where we start getting into like investing and lending. And we bring in the money changing, you know, usury fee on top of that. 
right? And you start getting lending at an interest. That's what was happening. The money changers too, you have to think when they're at the bench and they're like facilitating these transactions, they also have a lot of hard currency on them too. So people would come up to them and just ask for loans. Um, and there's plenty of records of this. Um, I was doing some research about money changers and medieval banking. Um, and it was really interesting kind of seeing how the need for a physical bank arose, right? And even if you look at a bank now, it's kind of like a house. Like, you know, it's not just like a place for money. You know, there's more to it. There's like a common area if you need to talk to a manager and sit down like in the parlor and talk about an investment. You know, there's a locked safe and, uh, you know, there's a safe room, but, you know, it's 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 a communal space. It's in And these banks came from family you know, family ties, right? It's very much, there's like individual actors that are starting to get their hands on all the money and all the wealth. And a lot of them were already involved in the Vatican and the Crusades, right? We talked about during the Crusades leading up to all this. What do you think they were doing over there? They were just getting all those fucking assets and gold and whatever the fuck, okay? So all that, kind of culminates into Switzerland in 1291. So Switzerland before this uh, was basically just a collection of like tribes and shit, right? I guess kind of maybe could have been viewed like like Scotland or some shit like Braveheart Braveheart era. But 1291 was when Switzerland was officially recognized as like its own state. And at the time, it was, like I mentioned, a bunch of nomadic tribes and, you know, I believe Turkic people. I could be wrong on that. The Khazars are Turkic. I believe the Swiss also were. Um, This is saying Merovingians. Um, I don't know. Look it up yourselves, guys. Uh, But the thing that really stuck out to me about Switzerland was the black nobility, right? And black nobility again that's something that gets tossed around in conspiracy circles a lot so let's try to make sense of it what it really is is the people who sided with the pope right it's uh i completely fucked that up i'm gonna have to edit this out because the cat just got in my lap So the black nobility are simply, um, the black nobility is just Roman aristocratic families who sided with the papacy after Italy took over Rome, right? So in 1870, Italy took over Rome and the black nobility were just the people that were, you know, still in charge and still in leadership positions, but sided with the Vatican and sided with that whole operation, right? The big grand sham, the big grand conspiracy, the Vatican, the sun worship, the pagans, right? And the reason they needed Switzerland to come together was because, again, they were expanding their business ventures. All of this is about enslaving people and getting more and more money and wealth and power, right? They've invented medieval banking. We've got all this abusive kind of system starting to morph and form. And Switzerland 
when it came into being, they needed it as like a safe passage for trade because it was, it was not united and they needed it. And the, the black nobility siding with the Pope after Italy comes into Rome, you know, taking over Switzerland, you also have to think about how Switzerland today, how it's portrayed. It's historically neutral, right? There's a lot of international banking that goes on there because they will never, ever, ever release documents. They'll never let you know what's going on in those Swiss bank accounts. So you have to kind of consider like their role in all this and their role in the grand conspiracy and their role in the big picture of like, they're not just this random individual nation state that came out of all these nomadic Germanic tribes or Turkic tribes or whatever the fuck they were. It's like, nah, this place was fabricated. This place was put together. It's like Europe's plaything, right? The Vatican, all these people. Cause, cause look, Rome, Rome and the Vatican, they got taken over by Italy. They needed a place to go fucking chill. So why not have like a super independent? And I mean, they got like the Vatican as it exists, but like they were, you know, the Holy See was, you know, no longer recognized, you know, all this stuff, like look it up yourselves, right? I, I'm barely scratching the surface and I know I sound like an absolute mongoloid. Um, but Switzerland is kind of like a little little side note in there. Uh, what really gets me is how it goes into the Venetians to the Freemasons and Luciferianism, right? And you have the Scottish rites and everything linked into that. Again, all this stuff, look it up on your own. Uh, but the black nobility, they were huge, hugely involved with trade in Venice, right? And so again, that's where you see that money laundering, that big money. Like this is obviously just a money scam. The church is, um, and all, all churches are really, that's really the whole thing is all these Abrahamic religions are, are falsehoods. You know, I'm not going to put that on anybody that's alive today. I'm not going to put that on anybody that's alive today, but over the years, we see how this shit gets co-opted. And then Freemasonry starts in 1717. We have the Glorious Revolution uh, just you know, a couple of decades earlier, which is really interesting. That's when King James peacefully handed over power to his Protestant daughter. So we see Protestantism coming about, which is kind of goofy, right? But what's going on? The Society of Jesus? Oh, that's the Jesuits back in 1534. God's assassins. The Jesuits, we've talked about them before. I think, honestly, the Jesuits are more important than the Freemasons, um, but they're kind of counterparts to each other on this diagram. And again, this is what we talk about. All these secret societies, all these groups, they're kind of all one and the same because they're all part of the same story. It doesn't mean they're the exact same group, but they all kind of exist to do the same thing. All of these things and all of these groups that we've talked about and are con going to continue to talk about are literally designed to mask the true nature of reality. That's their entire purpose. And they do it through masking the metaphysical, right? They mask the spiritual to keep us in the soul trap matrix and they keep us, you know, they, they do it through money and interest. It's fucked up. It's fucked up, man. So the Society of Jesus, the Jesuits, the reason I think they're so important 
is because they are literally like the CIA of the Vatican, right? We're, we're continuing to build on, we're continuing to build on the Vatican's power and their reach, right? And I have an article here. I have an article here. And it says the primary purpose of the newly created Jesuit order was to serve as the Pope's deterrent to the Protestant Reformation. Which again, we just talked about the glorious revolution. He needed the Jesuits. Really? I hope you all heard my cat ASMR just now. Um, But he needed the glorious revolution, right? He needed the Pope needed to fight off the Protestants. And it wasn't really going too good for them, so they created the Jesuits. So this article I found on a really cool website that definitely will not get you put on a list uh, called endtimesprophecy.org. And it says the Jesuit order of the Society of Jesus was founded by a man named Ignatius of Loyola, born in 1491. He maintained a military career as a Spanish knight until he was wounded in the Battle of Pamplona. While he was in recovery, he went through a sort of uh, spiritual conversion. So then he wanted to combine his military expertise with his religious conversion. So he decided that his new religion needed an army. So he created the Society of Jesus under the banner of Roman Catholicism. So basically this guy had like a fucking fever dream and was like, oh, I'm a Catholic now. I want a bunch of Jason Bournes. A bunch of Catholic Jason Bournes. I'm going to raise that army. And he fucking did. They let him do it. And uh, they even went on to take over, like, financial institutions. Ignatius was also commissioned by the Pope to reorganize the Bank of Rome in 1540. Um he also began taking over education, taking over the schools, um, and so obviously influencing curriculums and teachings and stuff. So really weird, creepy shit, kind of like how we see Operation Mockingbird stuff going on, how the Jesuits are trying to narrative control like that. Um, but it's all just really creepy, and they got suppressed big time, the Jesuit suppression of 1773. They got pushed out. They got pushed out hard of a lot of stuff, and the Pope actually... Um, in 1773, formally condemned them and like pushed them out and said, nah, this group is no more because I think they went a little buck wild. I think they gave them a little too much what for. Um, but then we get to the Bavarian Illuminati, 1776. Um, now, again, this should be pretty high up on everybody's radar. And if you didn't know, the Illuminati is a real group that existed. Um, the Bavarian Illuminati, they're a group of like very high level elite Uh, bankers and political people and royalty and all kinds of like brilliant minds. I think there was a lot of intellectuals involved too. And it's basically, it's exactly what you think it is. It's an elite club. It's exactly what you think it is. Um, And to deny that it's anything other than that is just kind of like silly because it is a group. Like if you go on Wikipedia and look up Bavarian Illuminati, it'll tell you it was like a group of intellectuals and financial people and yada, yada. Like, all this stuff is on Wikipedia. Everything that I'm telling you and everything that is on this graphic that I'm going to post, you can all look it up for yourself. Draw Draw the dots yourself. Connect the dots. 
Draw the big picture yourself, guys. Um, and then from the Masons and the Jesuits, Illuminati, we get the Federal Reserve Act of 1913. All right, so we've already talked about usury, medieval banking. So now we've gone from medieval banking, where these small families were holding on to money for these big groups. Then, or excuse me, you have small families holding on to money for small merchants. Then all of a sudden, you have like the Dutch East India Company. What the fuck? One of the largest fucking companies that's ever existed. And let's, let's do a little reading about the Dutch East India Company. Right here on Wikipedia. It says, The Dutch East India Company was a chartered company established in 1602 when the States General of the Netherlands granted a 21-year monopoly to carry out trade activities in Asia. It is sometimes considered to have been the first multinational corporation in the world, and it was the first company to issue stock. So again, we talk about the Knights Templar. They operated like a corporation, like a company, right? But these guys, the Dutch East India Company, they were issuing stock in the 1600s, okay? So this is a big, big money scheme shit. It was a powerful company, going back to uh, Wikipedia here. It was a powerful company possessing quasi-governmental powers, including the ability to wage war, imprison, and execute convicts, negotiate treaties, strike its own coins, and establish colonies. What the fuck? What the fuck? It literally, this is, this is a company, a corporation, that is allowed to imprison people, print its own money, and start colonies. Hmm, that sounds an awful lot like 1776 America. <gasps> Not when the Bavarian Illuminati was going on. No, in the Masonic Atlantis, that's what they call America. Novo Ordis Seclorum. Um, yeah, man, it's really crazy. I know I kind of sped up towards the end there and brushed over a lot of shit, but, you know, we go from the usury and the beginning of banking and how that's a no-no. And then we have these religious uh, false doctrines, you know, these veils pulled over our faces to where we are completely spiritually misled. We have no idea how to escape this soul trap matrix. We have no idea how to get out of this matrix, how to, the, how to get out of these simulation. We have no idea, and the whole time we're here, we'll never figure it out because we're a slave to money. We're a slave to the Federal Reserve. We're a slave to the Dutch East India Company, which I talked about in an earlier episode, how America is nothing but a business venture, guys. I mean, America was set up by the Illuminati and the Freemasons and the Jesuits. It all comes out of Switzerland and the black nobility. It all comes from the Knights Templar and the, the Khazars and Kabbalah and black magic. And all this shit is being used against you. I mean, they talk about John D and the fucking, uh, you know, Queen of England. They were doing black magic on a governmental level. Hitler was obsessed with the occult. I mean, for you to sit here and to say, no, science is everything and we shouldn't give any mind to the metaphysical, guess what? They won. Because at the end of the day, science is the new religion. Okay? Think about what I just told you this entire time. Christianity is sun worship. Jesus is the son of God. I know that's a little on the nose, but again, it's Horus, Immaculate Conception, Amun-Ra, all this stuff. It's literally, he is the son. 
springtime, fertility, even Christmas and the trees. The Christmas tree, bro. What the fuck do you think that is? Why do you bring a tree inside your house? It's because it's pagan. It's because you're, you're usurping the true God. And I'm not saying it's a Jewish God. I'm not saying it's a Christian God. I'm not saying it's an Islamist God or any other kind of God. But you got to admit there's something out there. There's something out there for sure. Um, and this map just really blew my mind. Um, there's a lot to it. There's a lot on here. I'm going to link pictures to the image. And you can actually buy it as like a poster to put on your wall. I'm thinking about getting one. Um, it looks super sick in the schizo, in the schizo basement, in the fucking autistic studio down here. Uh, but yeah, that's, that's really all I have for today. Sorry, that was kind of anticlimactic towards the end. Got a little burnt out. This is my first solo cast. Um, so thank y'all. If you made it with me to the end, thank you. Um, but yeah, just think about that. Think about, uh, the paganism and, and how it all ties in the, you know, and it all goes back to Baal and Moloch, human sacrifice and sun worship. Um, and that's where we get, you know, the deep state conspiracy about, you know, Chrome and Hillary Clinton eats babies and all that wild shit. I mean, it literally goes back to the fucking Canaanites. It goes back to the Kings of Babylon, King Solomon, Marduk, the Pharaohs of Egypt, Tutmosis, Fink Stele, guy just who just bawled himself king. He was like, fuck you. I'm the fucking pharaoh now. Oh, yeah, and I found this Sphinx. Put my face on it. Yeah, I know it used to be a lion. Put my face on it, bitch. <laughs>